Okay, so we're in a series called Back to the Future, and uh, we're talking about the past and dealing with things in the past before we can step forward into the plan that God has for our life. And for your notes today in part five, I want to talk to you about bitter or better. <clears throat> bitter or better. And this goes along a little bit with last week as well. Bitter or better. So um, you cannot live on earth without having relationships. You can't be born unless you have parents, whether they were good parents or bad parents. You can't have children without being in their life for some period of time, if not forever. Um, you cannot fall in love unless you choose to have a relationship. You can't work anywhere unless you choose to have a relationship with somebody. And so knowing that we have these people around us and that they all have free wills, that also means that we are opening up ourselves to be hurt. We're opening up ourselves to be betrayed, to be talked about, for, to be stabbed in the back. These things can happen because we all have a free will. However, God in his great love and mercy for you has also given you a free will. How you handle the hurt that comes your way will determine if your future is going to be bitter or if your future is going to be better. You only have one of two choices when somebody does you wrong. And I'm going to put these two scriptures on the screen. Hebrews 12, 15 says this. Don't let a root. Now, now the root comes from a seed. And uh, the seed is the injustice. The seed is the hurt. And so this is one direction you can go in when you get hurt. Don't let that seed turn into a root of bitterness, which is the Amplified says animosity, resentment, or hatred spring up and many become contaminated by its poison. So if you go down the bitter path, if you hold on to it, if you talk about it with somebody, if you gossip about them because of what they did to you, if you blame them for why you are where you are and you lost all this money because they cheated you out of the business deal and all that, here's what's going to happen. It doesn't just make your life bitter. The Bible says the consequence of you having a bitter root is it affects people around you. It affects the new church that you go to if you're bitter with the old one. It affects the new marriage you step into if you're bitter with the ex. It affects the new job that God opened up the door for you to go into. If you're still bitter with the other one, it's going to affect, infect the new one. So that's one, one direction we're going. Here's the other direction. And there's 50 scriptures I could have used, but I used one on sowing and reaping. So it's kind of the same principle. Galatians 6, 9. Don't get tired of doing the right thing. Now, we don't ever get tired of doing the right thing when the right thing's happening. The only time you could ever get tired of doing the right thing is when the wrong thing's happening to you. And I know I'm preaching to Christians, I know, and I know you already know what the right thing to do is, but just in case you forgot, the right thing to do is to forgive when somebody does you wrong. Just in case you forgot, I know you might have thought you were at the Catholic Church, but I'm telling you, you got to forgive when they do you wrong. I'm joking. So at the right time, you will reap a great harvest if you do not give up. So here's what this is saying is this, when someone does you wrong, the way it affects your life is not based on them. It's based on you. Your future is not based on what these people did that hurts you. Your future is based on how you handle the hurt that came your way. You can't get away from it. every person in this room has been hurt. Every person in this room has been betrayed. Every person in this room has had a horrible relationship with somebody at some point. How you handled that is determining right now if your life is bitter or if your life is better. So you cannot point the finger at someone else and say, I am where I am because of them. No, you are where you are because how you handled that person that did you wrong. Are you with me? Okay, so I have three points for you today and I'm gonna to try to very greatly convince you to not be bitter but to get better. Point number one is this, bitterness poisons our family and friends. 
And you'll notice each point, of course, it has the letter F at the beginning of the, of the main part. So bitterness poisons our family, our friends. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, uh, one of the Beatitudes, blessed, happy, and prosperous are the pure in heart. Now the heart in Greek is the word cardios, where we get the word, you know, um, cardiologist and so forth. But the word pure here might not be what you think it means. The word pure here in Greek comes from a Greek word, katharoi, whatever, however you pronounce it. And it's where we get the English word, um, cathartic cathartic means to release toxins it's where we also get the english word catheter if you know what a catheter is i'm terribly sorry <laughs> horrible 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 but if you know what a catheter is a catheter is intended to get rid of all the impurities that are on the inside of you jesus is not shocked that toxins came your way jesus is shocked when they stay inside of you you have to catheterize your heart so to speak on a regular basis and get rid of all the negative impurities, the poison, the things on the inside that contaminate. Now, if you're here today and you are not blessed, happy, or prosperous, could it be that you have allowed something that is supposed to have been released to stay on the inside of you? Could it be that you're holding on to something from years and years ago? You wonder why every time you go on a date with somebody, it never works out. They don't treat you like they should. They're not a godly man or a godly woman. Could it be you're holding on to something from the past? You can't hold a job down for more than a year. Every church you go to, there's something wrong with that church. Could it be there's a bitter root on the inside coming out and contaminating the future that God has for you? Um, I grew up in, in I, well, I grew up here in Myrtle Beach, but we moved here when I was like 11 or 12. So as a child, we lived in Florence, South Carolina, and we lived in this huge mansion of a home. I mean, it had a huge brick home, it had a library, it had a Florida room, two dining rooms, two sets of upstairs. There was a big brick fence that surrounded the whole property. It was on like a half acre property. And we had neighbors, but everybody's house was about the same, you know, in that, in that neighborhood in Florence. And um, my dad was never home. He was always working and stuff. So my nana basically kind of raised me. She took care of me. And so one Easter, my nana brings to the house about six dozen um, hard-boiled eggs. She had already hard-boiled them and everything. And she let me and my little brother, my sister wasn't born at the time, but me and my brother, she let us um, uh, dye the eggs. Remember back in the 80s, you know, you'd dye them different colors and you'd try to, if you're really good, you could do two colors, you know, one on one side. I was really good, my brother wasn't. And um, you could like write your initials on and stuff like that. So we spent like an hour and a half hard um, dyeing these 72 hard-boiled eggs. My nana said, okay, kids, I'm going to go outside and hide the eggs, and then we'll have an Easter egg hunt. Y'all come find them. We thought that was great. So she went out there for 30 minutes, and this big piece of property had landscape galore. I mean, the most beautiful landscape all over the place. And so she hid it in every bit of monkey grass and in the middle of a bush all over these eggs were around. So she said, okay, it's time to go find the eggs. So me and my brother, we go outside, and after about 30 minutes, we're exhausted. I found like eight eggs. He found like four eggs. My nana just hit him really, really good, you know. So we're done and the night's over and we thought, okay, we're done. You know, we're going to bed. Everything's done. We didn't think about the 50-something hard-boiled eggs all over the property. For the next three to four weeks, every friend, every family member that came to our house, the first thing they said when they got out of their car was, man, something stinks. My dad was so ticked off when he finally came home from work one day. He said, what is that? I said, well, I guess it's the eggs that Nana. He said, well, find those eggs. I was like, we tried. It was an Easter egg hunt. That was the whole point. We couldn't find them. He said, well, call your Nana and ask where they are. I called Nana. I said, I don't know where I put them. I just hit them. I hit them from myself. 
My dad said, was follow them your nose and try to get rid of them. Man, you couldn't even tell where one was at because the whole place stunk. The reason it stunk so bad is because there was something bitter that we did not dispose of properly. And you know, if there's something on the inside of you that you have not disposed of properly, it'll stink up your whole life. And you can blame the person that hurts you and you can blame your past, but the choice is yours for how you handle the hurts and pains that come your way. In Genesis chapter 25, Jacob deceived his twin brother Esau into selling him his birthright. It was a horrible thing to do. He basically stole millions of dollars from his you know, brother for just you know, pennies on the dollar. In Genesis 27, Jacob lies to his dad when he's on his deathbed, and then he cheats his brother again out of the double portion blessing, which was the whole inheritance that was supposed to be for him. This Jacob was a horrible guy. I mean, he was a cheater, a liar. He was just a bad guy. In chapter 28, he runs for his life. And here's why he ran for his life, because Esau was going to kill him, first of all. But the Bible describes Esau, his twin brother, as a skilled hunter. Now, if you rip off a skilled golfer and he wants to fight you, you don't really think much of it. But when a skilled hunter is looking for you, that's when you run for your life. So these bad things kept happening to Jacob. He reaped what he sowed. Someone ripped him off, did him wrong. Finally, in Genesis 32, Jacob repents to God. For years, Jacob and Esau, these two brothers, lived estranged. Now that Jacob's heart is right, he wants to come back home to be with his family, but he's scared to death of his brother Esau. So he sends a letter ahead of time saying, can we meet somewhere? Can we kind of talk about this? Esau agrees. They travel a long way with their family. Esau actually has 400 men with him. Jacob's got his wife, his kids, and a few other people. And when they go to meet in Genesis 33:1, it says, Jacob looked and saw Esau coming with 400 men. So Jacob left everyone, including his son. It's very important that you remember this for the end of the sermon that he specifically mentions. He took his little son, Joseph, and he left him with his, his family and his, his wife, you know, and he said, y'all stay over here on this side of the stream. I have to go over here and I have to meet my brother Esau. Basically what he was doing, he's saying, you know what? I'm about to be killed most likely. If he doesn't kill me, maybe I'll be his slave for 20 or 30 years to pay back everything I've stolen from him. I mean, years of cheating this family member, years, and now he's going to meet him face to face. So he tells his son, hey, just stay here. And I can imagine, he says, just cover up your eyes. It'll be okay. I promise we're going to be okay. You know, don't worry about it. And little Joseph has probably got his fingers over his face and he's crying, probably reaching out for his father. His dad's waving here. Because if they kill him, then they're just going to run and flee. So at least this child and his wife doesn't get hurt. So Esau's getting closer and closer and closer. And I can imagine Jacob just braces for the punch or the stab or are they going to behead him? You know, what are they going to do? And the closer Esau gets, what Jacob thought was going to happen isn't what really happened. In verse four, it says, Esau ran to Jacob and he embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and he wept. The Bible says, then Esau ran across the stream and he hugged Jacob's wife and he picked Joseph up and said, oh, I'm so glad to meet you. You're such a cute little man. I can't believe that, that, that you're my nephew. On and on it went. In verse 10, it says, Jacob said to Esau, seeing your face, is as if I've seen the smile of God. Now there's something in theology called the law of first mention. It's where theologians, they look in the Bible and they find the first time something happened 
um, on earth or between God and man. And they usually use this principle, the law of first mention, with very, very deep things, okay? But I'm using it for something that's not as deep as what they might use it for. I'm using it for this because it's the first time and I think the only time I've ever seen this. We know the Bible says we can be the hands of God. We can be the feet of God. We can be the mouthpiece of God and encourage somebody. The only time I've ever seen in the Bible where we can actually be the smile of God. It's not whenever somebody gave, you know, thousands of dollars away. It's not when somebody, you know, read their whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation and God smiles. What was the smile of God? It was when somebody gave mercy to a person who didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve it. And because of that, the smile of God was found on planet Earth. You know, whenever Jacob was cheating Esau, Jacob had the upper hand. And now the tables have turned. Now Esau's got the upper hand with 400 men. He could have killed Jacob just like that. But you realize if you study, the 400 men were actually there to protect Jacob and his family as they traveled through the wilderness a long distance to come back home. Here's the point. If you can't show mercy now, you'll never be blessed with the upper hand later. If you think that God's going to turn things around for you and get you into a great place of prosperity and, and do good things, you know, it'll never happen. He can't trust you with that type of promotion if you can't give mercy to somebody right now who doesn't deserve it. Um, I read a true story about this famous billionaire with a B. He and his um, siblings for about 20, 25 years were totally estranged. Um, their relationship was, was nothing. They did not talk. They did not see each other. There was a bad business deal, you know, a few decades ago, and somehow when all the siblings went in on it, only one sibling came out on top and the rest lost money. And now this billionaire brother, they don't talk to him, but they see him on the news and he's famous and that kind of thing. Well, one day their 80-year-old mom got in a car wreck and she was rushed to the hospital. She was in a coma. And so all the siblings, all the kids, they all came, flew in from all over the world to be there with their mom who's laying in the hospital. Once all the siblings arrived there in the hospital, including the billionaire brother, he stood up and he said to everybody, I want y'all to know I'm sorry for my part and I want us to start anew and I want us to start afresh. In that moment, all the siblings cried, they hugged each other, they were so excited, all ready to go forward except for one of the brothers. One of the brothers looked and said, I cannot forgive you. I cannot let go of what happened all those years ago. And he walked out. For the next several months, the mother stayed in the coma there in the hospital. The siblings would come at different times, night and day to visit her, you know. One day, the brother who just could not forgive, he and his wife and kids were at their local church. And the pastor preached on bitterness and how important it is to forgive. After he got out of church, he sent a text to all of his siblings asking them to meet at the hospital, including the billionaire brother. When they all got there, this one brother said, you know what? I think I can forgive, and I do want to start over. They all hugged. They all embraced each other, tears in their eyes. The very next morning, the mother died. The family kind of laughed and said that they think God kept their mother alive all this time just so the family could be reconciled. Listen, reconciliation doesn't mean you got to hang out with them every day. It doesn't mean you got to see them every time they come over, you call, you got to answer the phone every time they call. That's not what it means. Reconciliation means I forgive you, we have peace, and we can go forward in life. In Matthew 5, 21 through 25, Jesus said, you heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, anybody who continues to be angry. Now, Jesus puts anger and murder on the exact same level. In our culture and in our society, murder's worse. You go to jail for murder, 
but they don't do anything to you if you get angry. But we're not going to be judged by society or culture or American you know, documents. We're going to be judged by the Bible. Jesus said that murder and anger murders the outward sin, angers the inward sin. They're on the same level. Anyone who's like that with a brother or sister will be guilty of judgment. A brother or sister can mean a blood relative or a believer, a fellow Christian, someone you're in relationship with. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka. Now, Raka, you hear that hard consonant? It's, it's kind of like a cuss, you know, Raka you. It's like a cuss word. And um, it actually means you worthless pile of Raka is what it means, you know. You say it to somebody that you hate, it says is in danger of hell. Now, how can it say if, we, if, if heaven or hell is not based on works, but it's based on Jesus, how can it say you're in danger of hell? Here's why. Because 1 John says, if you have hatred in your heart, the love of God isn't inside of you. The love of God isn't inside of you. You're not going to heaven. Not based on your works or actions, but based on if the love of God is inside of you or not. Anyone who says that is danger of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're at church on Sunday morning and you're signing up for a short group and you're putting money in the offering box and you're singing a song and you're praying for people and you remember that your brother or sister, this is so crazy, has sinned against you. It doesn't say if you remember that you did somebody wrong. It says if you remember they did you wrong. They did you wrong. You would think that if they did you wrong, they should come to you. But Jesus said if they did you wrong and there's not peace, you need to go to them. Because Jesus cares more about peace than he does who's right or who's wrong in the situation. You leave your gift at the altar and you go and make peace. Then come offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. And this is so funny. In verse 21, you're close brother and sister. By verse 25, you hate each other. You're in court suing the other person. Now, if I were to ask you, who's going to be your biggest enemy in the future? Who are you going to sue in a courtroom? None of you would say, well, the person I love. None of you would say, well, my family. None of you would say, well, the person I've given my heart to. You would never think that. And Jesus said, if you don't deal with bitterness from verse 21 to verse 25, the person that you love, the person you're in relationship with is the person you're going to hate and be in court and sue all because you didn't handle it by getting peace. Because you didn't pursue peace. This blows my, is your mind not blown? Because my mind's blown. Y'all are looking at me like, hurry and get done with the sermon. No, I'm not. I'm preaching extra long just for y'all that look at me that way. I'm joking. Here's, now, if you hear me saying, that um, that family member that sexually abused you, you gotta become friends with them. I'm not saying it. If you think I'm saying that person that keeps cheating you, you gotta be friends with them. I'm not saying that. So listen, real close. Forgiveness is immediate. Peace is something that requires recompense. In other words, peace is something that you have to um, talk about. How can we have peace? And it needs to be good in God's eyes. Don't let them force it. Well, I'd have peace if you come and see me every week. No, 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 no. That wouldn't bring me peace. Some people actually don't want peace, but you're supposed to do your part to try. Peace may be you see them on Thanksgiving and that's it. Peace may be I'm going to let you be right even though I know you're wrong. And so I'm sorry for what I did. And then you go forward. That might be peace. But you have to forgive immediately. Peace is something you got to work out. But listen, trust, that's earned through time and integrity. Do not give your heart just like that to the same person that just broke it last night. It takes time of integrity to trust the person. Forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness you do no matter what. Trust, you do not have to trust that person. Esau and Jacob, they didn't get back in relationship until God changed Jacob's heart. Jacob had to repent. He had to go through hell on earth for God to change him and then reconciliation occurred.
So make sure we're on the same page with that, okay? With family and friends. Number two, bitterness poisons our future. <clears throat> bitterness poisons our future. Another beatitude, Matthew 5, 7, blessed, happy, prosperous are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If you're here today and you are not blessed, happy, and prosperous, do not point the finger at your ex-wife or ex-husband and say it's because of them. If you're not blessed, happy, and prosperous, do not say, well, my business partner that cheated me, that's why I'm not prospering. No, you're not prospering because you didn't show mercy. Jesus is more powerful than your enemy. Whenever you blame anybody for the things that happen in your life, you need to point at yourself because how you responded to that is why you are where you are today. It's not because of what they did. I wish if I could get this point through every person that I know, I think it would be life-changing. It is not because of what they did. It's because of how you handled what they did to you. Amen. They have a free will and you do too. And if you choose bitterness, you are just as bad as them. Because they're both whatever they did to you that's a sin is just as bad as the unforgiveness in your heart that's a sin. Why don't you do the right thing so that you'll be blessed, happy, and prosperous one day? Um, there's a true story about a man named Adolf Kors III. Uh, Mr. Kors is the founder of the Kors Brewing Company that does all other things as well, but it's all over the world. When he first started it, back in the late 50s, um, he was doing really well at the beginning. In fact, he was doing so well that he was kidnapped in 1960, February the 9th, and he was held for ransom. The authorities got involved and they tried to pay the ransom with the family and it didn't work out. Long story short, seven months after he was kidnapped, his body was found on the side of a mountain with bullets all through it. They caught the guy that did it. His name was Joseph Corbett. He was convicted for the crime and sentenced to life in prison. But when Adolf Kors III <clears throat> was murdered, his son, Adolf Kors IV, was 15 years old. <clears throat> he lost his father. He lost his best friend. His dad had spent, you know, his 15 years kind of training up his son to take over the business one day. That was the hope for the whole family. And now his life is completely shattered. They caught the guy. They sent him to jail, like I said. Fast forward 15 years later, Adolf Kors IV is now 30 years old. He walks into a church one Sunday, and he completely surrenders his life to Jesus. When he left that place, he thought that, you know, there was going to be more change than, you know, getting saved, of course, does some change. But he thought all of this hatred on the inside was going to go away immediately, and it didn't. He said he tried to grow his business and bad things kept happening. He said he tried to forgive and it just went. He said his heart was eaten up with so much anger, anger, hatred, resentment, animosity. He said he couldn't do any. He couldn't work. He couldn't focus. He couldn't hear from God. He couldn't talk to God. So Adolf Course said, and I'll quote him on this. He said, only through the power of the Holy Spirit, the day came. Course got in his car with his Bible in hand. He drove a long way and he went to the maximum security unit of Colorado's Cannon City Penitentiary to talk to the man face to face who murdered his father 15 years before. Corbett refused to see him. He said, I'd rather die in this cell and be here the rest of my life and never have to see that kid ever again. So Coors left him his own personal Bible. On the inside, he wrote an inscription that said, I'm sorry we couldn't meet today, but as a Christian, I've been summoned by my Lord and Savior to forgive you. So today, I forgive you, and I ask that you forgive me of the 15 years of hatred that I've held in my heart toward you. The very next day, the business started growing. Within two months, it doubled. 
Within six months, it tripled. Within the next few years, quadrupled on and on. And now the chorus company's all over the world. But he said it all started the day after he forgave the man who murdered his father. Um, I told you about Joseph last week. Genesis chapter 37, Joseph's brothers tried to kill him. And they ended up selling him as a slave, you know, I guess to be nice. When they did, they took his coat of many colors that his dad, Jacob, gave him. And they dipped it in animal blood and they gave it to his father. And his father assumed that a wild animal had killed his son, Joseph. In Genesis 39, Joseph was accused of a crime. Well, these are some great Bible families we talk about, isn't it? <clears throat> Man, we're doing pretty good around here, aren't we? <laughs> Model your life after a Bible family. My goodness. Brother tried, my brother might have hit me once, but man, he's never tried to sell me into slavery. Genesis 39, Joseph's accused of a crime he didn't commit. He's thrown into prison. Genesis chapter 40, Joseph interprets a dream for a prisoner. He says, listen, I'll tell you the meaning of this dream. And when I do, you're going to be set free. But you got to promise me that you'll put in a good word to Pharaoh. The guy agrees. Joseph interprets the dream. He gets set free. And the guy leaves Joseph in jail and forgets all about him. Now, all of this happened. In the beginning, because his brothers tried to kill him and threw him, in, and threw him in a pit and then sold him into slavery. But in Genesis 41, Joseph interprets a dream for Pharaoh. Verse 41, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I'm putting you in charge of all of Egypt. Listen, bitter people are never promoted. I'm telling you, if you study the whole Bible, I, every, I, I've never met one person in life who God promoted who had bitterness in their heart. You meet people and you say, Dada, and within five minutes they tell you about something bad that somebody did to them. Well, if my ex-husband had done this, I would, or, you know, I'm divorced because they did this to me and all, whatever it is. It's like, my God, don't you want God to promote you? And I know people that are promoted in life by their own hand, and they're miserable. They don't see their family. Life's not good. They hate working. But when God promotes you, things are great in life. But he'll never promote you if you're bitter. Here's what I want to teach you. Our future is not based on our enemy and how our enemies treat us. Our future is based on how we treat our enemies. Amen. We think... That our future is based on if people do me right or if people do me wrong. If this person does me right, I'll do great. If this person does me wrong, I'm not going to do good. No, 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 no. Your future is based on how you respond to everything that comes your way in life. If you would respond God's way to your enemies, God will promote you just like he did Joseph. So there's a famine in the land. People are dying of starvation. And, uh, and in Egypt, especially the palace, has food for people. Guess who is in charge of the food supply for basically the whole world at this time. Guess who's in charge? Joseph's in charge. Man, the table's turned again. Joseph 42, uh, Genesis 42, two through nine. Jacob, their father, learned there was grain in Egypt, so he sent his sons, he sent 10 of them uh, to buy grain. Now Joseph was ruler over the land and Joseph was in charge of the grain. Remember, at one point, Joseph's in the pit and the brothers are in charge. Now Joseph's in charge and the same ones that stole years of his life, now they're in the pit, so to speak. And it says this, they didn't recognize him because Joseph was, he was wearing Egyptian garment. It'd been 22 years since they saw their brother and, and Joseph's grown up. He's got a wig on, makeup, and he's speaking um, Egyptian and he's using an interpreter, even though he knows what they're saying, he speaks their language. It says they didn't recognize Joseph, but when he saw his brothers, he remembered his dreams. When he saw his brothers, he did not remember the pain. He did not remember the hatred and anger he had toward them. He did not remember how they stole years of his life. When he saw him, here's what he remembered. He remembered that God told him, I'm going to promote you in a really great way. I'm going to do great things in your future. He remembered his dream. Your dream has to be more powerful than your anger. 
Now, I'm going to tell you just real quick in 30 seconds how to let this happen. You need to join a church, serve God, build the kingdom, use your gifts for Jesus, and stop thinking about yourself. Because every time you think about yourself, you're only thinking about your problems. Every time. But when you're part of a family and a group and your goal is how can I serve Jesus today? How can I be a blessing? How can I build his kingdom? I promise you, God will always promise. And what you're doing when you do that is all that nasty, those nasty toxins on the inside, they're being filtered out. But when you think about yourself and your mind's on yourself and you just want to come here just to get and not to give, what you're doing is you're putting more toxins on the inside. You got to get, you got to catheterize yourself, man. Ah, catheterize yourself. Get that stuff out. <laughs> That's what happens when you get catheterized. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't think it's happened. I don't remember. That might have put me to sleep. I don't remember. Anyway, where am I at? Okay, so listen. Can you forgive somebody who stole years of your life, but listen, and they never asked you for forgiveness. They never say, I'm sorry. Now, if you can do that, then God can trust you with a big future. But the reason some of y'all are not happy, blessed, and prosperous um, isn't because of God, it's not the devil, and it's not your enemies, it's because of you. If your dream that God, that what God wants to use you for, if that is what is swelling up in your heart, then there's no room for the bitterness or the anger or the resentment. Point number three is this, bitterness poisons our faith. Our faith, Mark eleven twenty five. 25, when you pray. Now let me remind you what prayer is, okay? Prayer is you hearing from God and declaring it on earth. And prayer is talking to God, listening. It's a relationship with God. And here's what it says. Whenever you have this relationship with God, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, drop it, let it go. So your Father in heaven will also forgive you. Notice, you can't even hear from God when your heart's not pure. And the reason some of you got to go to a prophet every single week to hear from God is because there's something in your, whenever you hear from a prophet, like we have in our church, whenever you hear from me on Sunday morning, I should never tell you something you don't know. I should confirm what God has already told you in your spirit. If you're going to a, a prophet, pastor, teacher, whoever it is, it should be, you know what? That, that is what God has told me that before. I spent time with God a few weeks ago. He said the same exact thing. It should always confirm. Uh, Mark eleven twenty five. 25, we just read Genesis. Okay, so Joseph tells his brothers in, 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 in Egyptian, he says, um, I bet y'all are spies. Y'all are spies. Y'all are spies. And they say this in verse 13. They say, uh, we are not spies. We are 12 sons of Jacob. There's 10 of them there, and here's what they said. One brother's dead. They're talking about Joseph to his face. You're dead is what they're saying, right? The other brother, Benjamin, he's the youngest. He's with our father. So Joseph says this to the interpreter. I'll know you're not spies if you go get Benjamin, and then all of you come back. I'll know you're telling the truth. So they go back home, and they tell their father, Jacob, listen, we talked to the guy that's in charge of the food. He'll give us food, but we all have to go back, including little Benjamin. In verse 38, Jacob says this, I can't let go. I can't let go of the past. I, can't, I know God's asking me to step out in faith, but I'm so afraid that what happened in the past is going to happen again, so I can't do it. I'd rather just play it safe. I'd rather just stay where I'm at. I can't let go of Benjamin. His brother's dead, and I can't, I, I can't let that happen to him. I, Joseph, my other son died. I can't let that, I can't let, so I just can't do it. I can imagine in my mind, I see Jacob, after he hears that news, he goes to the back of the closet and he pulls out that bloody robe. And I just imagine with all, because I have four boys, you know, I just imagine 
he smells the robe to see if he can still smell his son. And he thinks, I just can't lose another one. If I, step, if I step out in faith, I might get hurt like I was hurt in the past. If I do what God's asked me to do, it might not work out the best way. I just can't let it happen. And so he's so focused on the past, he doesn't realize God has this huge provision for you. I mean, huge. God has everything you ever want, Jacob. You just got to let go. If we won't release the Benjamins in our life, we'll never receive the beauty. You got to let go of the Benjamins. So a year goes by. Now they're practically starving to death. Finally, Jacob releases all the sons, including Benjamin. Joseph has a huge feast prepared for them. In Genesis 45, 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, whom you sold. His brothers were stunned, to say the least, right? They're seeing a ghost before their eyes. Joseph takes off his wig, his makeup. Joseph says, don't blame yourself. God sent me here to save the lives of our family. Now, I want you to stay with me for one second, okay? <clears throat> Here's what I think happened. This, we don't know if this happened. This is my imagination, my imagination. The Bible says in the middle of this, whenever he first saw his brothers, that he, he ran out and it says that he, he cried so loud, all of Pharaoh's palace heard him crying. So I want you to know, forgiveness does not mean you're gonna not have pain. I just want you to know, you can still hurt and forgive, okay? So he's crying his eyes out, but he's forgiving. I'd imagine when he went back there, he said, God, how can I forgive them for what they did to me? How can I let go of this? I could kill, I could have them all beheaded with a snap of my finger, and you want me to forgive them? And I think Joseph had this memory, this flashback. He's a little boy. His father, Jacob, says, son, stay over here. Your dad's been a really bad man. He's cheated, he's lied. And I'm about to go face your uncle, who I stole so much from him. And I don't know what's gonna happen to me, but I want you to know I love you. And never forget me, son, because you're real special to me. And I can just picture Joseph screaming for his father, reaching for him, and his mom's holding him back, saying, it's gonna be okay, just pray, God's gonna take care of him. And Joseph sees his dad. Jacob standing there like this. Is Esau going to kill me? Is my family going to have to flee into the woods? What are they going to do? And Joseph sees his, his, his uncle, his dad's brother, run up to him and hug him and give him a kiss on the cheek. And I think Joseph had that flashback and I think he thought this. You know what? If my uncle can forgive my father for all that he did to him, then I can forgive my brothers for what they did to me. I think that's what happened. Here's my question. Can God trust you with such a promotion that the person who hurt you is gonna have to ask you for help? Now I know you're like, yeah, God, trust me with that. You know, I'd love that today. But if you won't give mercy now, you won't give help later. Uh, Jesus said, and this is from a parable, but it still applies. Matthew 18, 33, I forgave you just because you asked me to. You should have mercy on your fellow servant just like I had mercy on you. Yes. Uh, God has zero tolerance for unforgiveness. Now, some things God is lenient. Zero tolerance. Why? Because we've been forgiven right. of everything. Um, I know you don't think that you've ever hurt anybody, but you have. Okay. Yes. When we think of this stuff, we think of the people that hurt us. 
but you've hurt a lot of people. You might not even know it, but you offend people, you hurt people, and, 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 and you're, not, you know, you're not a good person either, by the way. And so um, I know you think your enemy's a bad person, but you, you know, your BO still smells as well. Um, I got a letter, an email about two weeks ago, and it went to the church email, and so they forwarded it to my personal email, and um, whenever I get an email, I just kind of skim to see if it's a good one or a bad one. If it's bad, I usually delete it. And so um, this was like a 10-page email. And it started off, the, the pastor of Solid Rock is so evil, and you ruined my life, and I hate you, and just, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And I thought, and, 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 and I looked at the very bottom of the email, and it had the guy's name that wrote it. And I've never heard of this guy. I, I never knew this name ever. So I immediately thought, they got the wrong Solid Rock. This is supposed to be for the Rock Church in Conway. I'm afforded to that pastor because that's, I'm sure, what they did. And then I thought, well, you know what? That pastor is incredibly nice. So I'm meaner than he is. So it can't be that. Then I thought, maybe it's that Solid Rock Baptist. You know, they took our name after we started our church. It has to be that pastor. Well, then I looked and I saw my name in the middle of this email. And I thought, what is this? What is this? So I read it. And this guy was saying, 12 years ago, you hurt me so bad. Every day of my life for the past 12 years, I've thought about what you did to me. You ruined me. You destroyed me. I hate just on and on. Went. I'm never going to think of you ever again after this day. I'm done with it. Just on and on. He went, <clears throat> horrible, horrible thing. I thought, oh, who is this guy? 12 years ago, who is he? And then I looked at the email address, and it had the letters M-O-N-K in it. Monk. And then it occurred to me who, what happened, what the situation was. Years ago, 12 years ago, I was preaching in a little storefront church. And this guy who had been in a monastery for like 25 years, away from society, you know, no TV, no internet, nothing like that. He comes to church and um, doesn't know anything about anything. And, and I, he only came a few weeks. And I see him one day in service, I see him hug a young teenage boy inappropriately. And I thought, did I just, and he, he kind of patted the, the, the guy on his backside. And I thought, did I just see what I just saw? And I, I looked at him really good, you know, and then the next Sunday, he did the same thing again to another young man. And now, I don't remember what I did. Okay, I don't remember. If I remembered, I'd tell you the truth, but I don't remember what I did. I'm sure I started the sentence out with Raka, is what I think I said when the first thing was. I'm sure I grabbed him by his shirt, and I ganked him in my office, and I'm sure I said, you, you know, what, what do you, you know, you just, yeah, nah, nah. and I do remember him crying. <clears throat> I do remember him saying something to the effect of, well, American football coaches do that to their players. You, you're not an American football coach. What do you think? You, this is church. You can't do that. You know, whatever I said to him, it hurt him so bad he left, and I never saw him again, ever. And I don't remember his name. Never, 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 never. Then he writes me this email for 12 years. I've thought about this, and you, you know, okay, here's the point. Says, first of all, he needs to forgive. He's bitter. Okay, that's the first thing. Here's the second thing is, I hurt him so bad. For 12 years, he's been angry, and I had no idea I did it. No idea. No idea. I never thought about it, not once after that day. Do you know there's somebody else I actually hurt? In fact, I hurt this one guy so bad. I mean, I did him so wrong that he had to hang on a cross and give his life for me. That's how bad I did him wrong. And do you know before I ever asked him to forgive me, you know what he said in Luke 23, 34? Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they do. I never even asked forgiveness. And he already forgave me. A person who cannot forgive is a person who's forgotten what they've been forgiven of. If you want to know whether or not you should forgive that person, 
Let me ask you this. Do you want Jesus to forgive you? Because let me tell you, you, especially Betty, she needs some forgiveness. <laughs> terribly, terribly. Okay, let's bow our heads and let's go to the Lord in prayer.